Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and dealing with the challenges and complexity of life in the 21st century. I'm your host Beth and Vincent and each week we uncover how people, places and systems can be adaptable and robust in an age of constant change and upheaval. Now this week we're looking at environmental resilience and sustainability through the lens of plastic free living and I've actually got expert Charlie on the show to talk about her experiences transitioning to a plastic free lifestyle alongside setting up her business with her sister Life Before Plastic which is an online plastic free store. So uh, my name is Charlie. I live in Manchester and I run Life Before Plastic, which is an online plastic free shop with my sister Trina. So what Life Before Plastic does is it's designed to make going zero waste that little bit easier. So we do all the hard work finding all the sustainable brands that are closer to home and giving customers the opportunity to shop in one place and also buy whatever their ethics are. Um, so we started in October 2018, can't believe it's been that long already, um, but we've grown our product range and we also do things like how-to guides and video reviews sort of to let people know more about the products and sort of handy tips as to how to go plastic free. And what kind of inspired you, I guess, to start the business in the first place? So, I mean, like a lot of people, I watched um blue planet but i think the biggest turning point for me was i went on a voluntary uh, project to nepal for three months and i'd started making sort of simple plastic free swaps before that like not buying food in plastic or looking at things like that and switching to a reusable coffee cup but when i went i actually took a shampoo bar with me um, which is quite a big swap for one of your first ones. Um, but I used that and it was a good time to do it because I was away for three months. But more than that, I think what really hit me is that Nepal's a developing country and they were all washing. I was literally in the back of beyond, nowhere near anything, um, didn't have any signal, none of that. And they were washing their hair with these little plastic packets because they can't afford bigger bottles and it's quite common for that in developing countries but once they'd used it they just chucked it outside because there was nowhere for them to put it there's no waste management there and it really struck me that there's little things like that that I was just using the shampoo bar and I created no waste in three months and they were using these little things because it wasn't available to them so I thought if that's how simple a change can be if I'm back home, there's no way that I'm going to use something that's in plastic just to make that little bit less plastic go into our environment. So one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is the concept of, yes, I can make a personal change, but it feels a bit kind of pointless if, if like you say, the rest of the world is unable to due to economic conditions or just unwilling to, as a lot of people in the West presumably are. What would you say to people with those types of thoughts? Well, nothing well, I mean nothing is gonna change if nobody changes. And the thing with the plastic problem isn't that everybody needs to be perfect. It's more that if everybody was doing a little bit, that would already dramatically decrease our plastic consumption. And it's things that happen in the in the developed world often 
lead to changes in the developing. So if companies in the West learn that they suddenly can't use plastic because consumers don't want that anymore, they'd actually um, ensure that that also happens in developing countries because it sort of just follows on. So if things changed in um, the UK or in America, that would lead to sort of a spiral effect um, across the world. That's what I hope anyway. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some easy switches people could do to get started? Because you mentioned shampoo bars and um, I, I actually, I've tried a number of them and uh, they're, they're quite a difficult thing to get used to. So would you recommend starting there or is there anywhere else that people could, could have a go with plastic free? I mean, I definitely wouldn't re- recommend starting with a shampoo bar. It's what I did, but your hair goes through a transitioning phase with it. So this actually might be a good, it might be a good time to do it now when we're stuck in quarantine and no one can see you because it will take about four weeks for your hair to get used to it and to not be greasy. It's like to get rid of all the uh, toxins and stuff that are actually in traditional shampoos. So, I mean, the easiest thing that you can switch to is soap. It sounds ridiculous, but so many people use soaps, you know, the pump ones or the ones that come in plastic. But actually, you could just switch to a soap bar that you can use for washing your hands, but then also as body wash. So that's actually one of the biggest switches you can make and is quite noticeable quite fast. But then there's, I mean, there's loads. (laughs) So um, things like a reusable razor, a safety razor, that will dramatically cut your um, plastic consumption rather than disposable ones. Or simple things like produce bags for the supermarket for your fruit and veg. So you can keep it all together. Like reusable coffee cups if you're a coffee drinker. Or like even things like plastic-free chewing gum because chewing gum's got plastic in it. Oh, really? What? No. It's crazy. When you start going down this journey, you realise just how much plastic there is in our everyday life. Obviously, in the news, there's been a lot of stuff about microplastics and that coming off your clothes when you wash it. So then you could get like a guppy friend bag or something like that or buy non-synthetic clothes. But there's it's literally everywhere. So trying to look at different alternatives that are quite easy to to make that switch. So those, I think, are the easiest things, like a a razor, soap, or stuff for um, your supermarket. But then, I guess, one of the biggest recommendations if people are looking to go plastic-free is to do it slow and steady, because trying to change everything, it's, it's not possible, and it actually can create quite a lot of waste. So, for example, if you've got, like, a couple of toothpaste tubes left in your cupboard because people tend to buy things in multi-packs then um, use it up first and then when it's when it's ready to um, to be finished then just get a new one that's plastic free that's how I'd actually go about it and think about starting in a room so for example if you're looking at your bathroom you could um, swap to soap swap to a bamboo toothbrush then toothpaste, mouthwash, a razor, and look at it that way rather than um, doing everything at one time. So you could start in the bathroom and swap things in your shower and then maybe move on to um, the kitchen. 
that's just as an example. One of the other concerns I've had in the past is that I think maybe this was true more kind of five, ten years ago, but a lot of the kind of alternative products, shall we say, were kind of crap quality. Do you think that's changed recently? Yes, hugely. <laughs> it's it's such a growing market, um, plastic free, natural products as well. So the brands that are on the market now are it's crazy how many there are and how good it is for you because that's the other thing with plastic free. So it kind of comes, it comes together with other things that, uh, or other ethics that people care about. So a lot of plastic free things will also be vegan and they'll also be natural or sustainable. So you can actually hit quite a lot of your ethics at the same time. And that means that the people who are making them often care a lot more about those sort of things and try to make the best um, products from it. But also because it's a grown market means there's more competition. So that actually drives the quality of the products up. So there's a lot of things that I might have thought at the beginning, like the packaging was terrible or they hadn't thought about the practicalities. And now because it's so competitive, like the products are actually really um, durable and also look good. Um, which is quite nice to see. Yeah, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast actually have their own kind of businesses or or startups. And I suppose in terms of sourcing alternatives, do you have any tips for that? Are there any kind of materials that you think are really good plastic alternatives that you see coming up a lot that people are using? So the, the main things that people package things in, so obviously cardboard, it depends what it is. So cardboard or tin, glass obviously with glass it's heavier so then you also need to think about whether that is um sustainable in terms of emissions of getting it traveled somewhere so from that um you'd actually say that cardboard is probably one of the best alternatives to use but then equally tins are super easy to recycle um so yeah you need to think about what the product is and the best way to package it But there's other things. So, for example, if you've got a magazine or a newspaper, rather than packaging that in plastic, they've actually got um, potato starch packaging now. So it looks exactly like the plastic that you'd normally have that covers a magazine. Maybe it's a little bit cloudier, but it's made from potato starch that um, is actually just waste from a potato. So it's not even the actual potato that somebody would then go on and eat it will be the skins that aren't used or things like that so that's really that's such a great alternative because it is reusing the food waste but making it into something that is a plastic alternative that will just biodegrade that's awesome I didn't know that existed I'm gonna have to look out for that because I've seen in in shops and stuff they now have compostable bags which are quite useful And I presume they're probably made through a similar type of material. And in terms of kind of the next, I guess, couple of years, because I imagine you get a bit of insight into the market before everyone else. Are there any kind of innovations that you can see coming that are going to help this even more or any new types of packaging products that are going to come out that you think are going to have a real kind of mass appeal? I mean, in terms of packaging, I I don't know if there's going to be anything sort of new on the market that we're not aware of it's more more alternatives coming up for already existing products or 
brands looking to expand into various things. So, I mean, for example, in the current climate, um, there's been quite a few brands that have tried to come up with um, hand sanitizer, um, just <laughs> things like that, which I found quite amusing. But unfortunately, some will still use a plastic pump because it's reusable, so it's not single-use plastic. But we see that quite often. Um, but we're quite strictly plastic-free, so I'll, it's a big passion of mine. So if somebody comes to me and says, oh, we've got this great product, but it's got a bit of plastic on it, I'll ask them if there's an alternative to that or like, if they can just put an aluminium lid on it and you just pour a bit out or other people mm -hmm. have their own yeah. um, sprays or something that they can use. So I don't know in terms of packaging of something new um, that's coming out, but there's a lot of stuff being done to combat the waste that's already out there. So there's things like the ocean cleanup that is trying to clean up all the plastic that's in the ocean already. But then also recently in the news, there's been, um, there was a study where scientists have found a bug um, that eats toxic plastic um, so that could also be a solution for the plastic that already exists. So really what we're trying to do is stem the tide so there isn't more plastic going into the environment, but equally there needs to be a lot of research done to try and solve the plastic that's already out there. So, yeah, there's lots to be done, but it's also quite exciting because it's quite... Um, like they're doing a lot about it and there's a lot of research but there's still quite an appetite for it so hopefully um, there will be a lot of changes that come come in the next few years. Yeah and I, I apologise for mentioning I guess the the c word or the coronavirus word but do you think the current situation we're in you know I live in York and I've noticed the the pollution levels have massively dropped here because there's no cars and I'm just more aware of the environment, I guess, around me, you know, listening to birdsong, there's a lot more wildlife. Do you think actually being kind of forced to be indoors and take stock of our environmental situation will will prompt people to be more conscious, I guess? Well, I mean, I hope so. I don't know. I think might be thinking too positively if that's the case. But I hope that it will impact at least a few people, not least. I mean, the, having the coronavirus is obviously terrible but it's allowed us to see what impact just stopping has on the environment because the environment has already improved so much and it's actually been relatively a short time where we've all been locked down so you can see how much improvements can come just from people making changes so if less people did drive every day or less people did buy a plastic toothbrush every time they needed a new one. Hopefully this will be an example of how little changes actually can make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. I guess in terms of thinking about how we can all do our bit to help environmental resilience and sustainability, is there anything we can do to almost pressure companies into considering plastic-free alternatives? Yeah, well, there's a few things. So obviously the first thing that you can do, well, a lot of it is personal. So stop buying plastic, number one, easiest <laughs> thing, um, because it's all about supply and demand. So if people don't buy it, then they'll stop producing it. But then 
things that you can do actively. So you can write to your local supermarkets. You can write to brands that you think should stop using plastic. But bigger than that, join in plastic-free communities. So whether that be on Instagram, just literally using the hashtag plasticfree and finding other people who have the same values as you. Doing things like that together, you can make more of an impact by messaging together or lots of people writing to supermarkets or brands at the same time might force a change that way. But then there's other things like raising awareness throughout your communities. So we we um, make these things called eco bricks um, and try to raise awareness of them through um, our platform. So eco bricks are a plastic bottle, so an empty bottle that you've drunk or somebody around you's drunk because I don't drink them anymore so I ask other people for them um, and you stuff it full of plastic that you can't recycle so that could be crisp packets or packaging from veg or any of that kind of thing things that you can't avoid and you stuff it into your eco brick and make it as solid as you can and that will form a building block and so they, people use them for all sorts of things. So you can make chairs out of them. People make playgrounds out of them. And it's a good thing to do with kids as well because it raises awareness of the plastic problem. But it also um, lets you know what plastic you're using. So you're, you end up using less and less when you see just how much you have. So I'm, I'm a big advocate, obviously. I've tried, and I am plastic-free and try to be plastic-free as much as possible. But for example, at the moment, it's when you go to the supermarket, it's next off impossible to buy everything plastic free. And the shop that I normally go to, a refill shop to get like my pastas and things like that, is has been closed. So I'm having to buy certain things in plastic that I normally never would. And that plastic I will use and I'll put it in my eco brick to try and make something good out of something bad. Yeah, because I think... People often don't realise that actually a lot of plastic isn't recyclable or, well, in York, again, it's not recyclable because our council's not very good at recycling certain types of plastic. But even if you put it in, in your recycling box, it's it's not necessarily going to get processed properly. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that's another issue just with recycling in general. There's so many things that you can't recycle and things like tin, for example. So aluminium's one of the easiest things to recycle. But if you just put in little bits, it they don't pick it up. So you're supposed to um, squish it all into sort of a small ball for them to pick it up at the plant. But most people don't know that and that you just put it in because you think, oh, it's tin and they'll recycle it, no problem. But actually, you can't always recycle it. And it's the same for Tetra Packs. Tetra Packs can only be recycled at, I think, three centres in the UK really yeah so it's highly unlikely that your center is going to be recycling them um yeah it's it's bad when I was in Leeds as well because I I did my master's in Leeds and I went to uh, the it's not a recycling facility it's where they burn the waste so it's one of the first I think there's two plants in the UK that do this and they take household waste and they'll burn it and they'll use energy produced from that to um, heat homes in Leeds so it's quite a good initiative it kind of makes you feel 
what's going into the atmosphere. Yeah, they have a process that they try to obviously remove a lot of the bad things that are going into the air, but I still doubt that that's all disappearing. So it's interesting to think about how different councils do different things and trying to be aware of that as well as a consumer, because I've moved around a lot as well and trying to know what my particular borough does and what they can recycle and what's the bin like and when do they recycle it it can actually be quite overwhelming so I can understand that I obviously it's a passion of mine so I go out of my way to find that out but for the average person it it, I think that could be made more um well just easier really for them to know what to do definitely because even if the packaging you know says recycling recyclable on it it's not always clear whether you can recycle that what what type of recycling needs to occur for that to happen and you just end up you throw it all in and I've heard that if you put some stuff in that isn't recyclable sometimes they'll just throw the whole lot away into landfill just because they can't necessarily sort it all out properly so you can almost spoil it through one one bad thing in there yeah exactly which I don't know if that's true it's kind of Mm. mind-boggling to think that it might be but I also know that there was a um, case recently where some big companies um, were sued for writing recyclable on their packaging when, in fact, it was only recyclable at a couple of plants or something like that. I think it was a case in the US that somebody actually sued them for it because it's so true. So you you could technically write that it's recyclable, but is it in reality? So... Yeah, and I think it's interesting on the kind of hierarchy of, I guess, recycling, reduce, reuse. Recycling is now at the bottom, so as in that should be your last or one of your last resorts. You know, you should try, recover, reduce, reuse. I can't remember what order they're in, but recycling is now kind of like, okay, that's not as almost as positive as we used to think it was, or there's better alternatives now. Yeah, exactly, and that that change has come about really in only a few years so it's quite hard to change your mindset when that's what you were told to do that you think oh just recycle it but actually now there's so many better alternatives so even certain things that we'd sell if it's in a glass jar I just keep them because they're actually really useful and you can use them if you're going away not that you'll be going away at the moment (laughs) but I keep stuff like that because it's they can be quite useful containers and then really, if it's the end of, at the end of its life, then you should um, recycle it. And that's obviously much easier to do with paper and glass and um, tin. So one of the big things I know that's put me off in the past again has been cost, you know, thinking that plastic-free alternatives will be a lot more expensive um, and, again, not less good. So they'll cost me more from that point of view as well. What would you say to people who are thinking those types of thoughts? Yeah, that's that's something that I often get asked. And it, if you look at some budget stores where shampoo you can get for, I don't know, like 50p or stuff like that, then, of course, it can't compete with that. But I would say that things like soaps, shampoo bars last for much longer than you expect them to last. So I'll have a shampoo bar that will last me for three months. And it might cost five pounds, but I know that I'm washing my hair with something that's completely natural and has the best products in it for my hair, and it lasts for ages. 
But then if you think of something like a reusable razor, so the razor kit might cost you 20 quid, but you'll be using that razor for the rest of your life if you look after it well. So if you think about how much you would have spent on um, disposable razors and compare that, it's, it is incomparable. So there's so many things like that. But also with Plastic Free, because there's so many more brands that are coming up, there's a range of um, prices. So if you wanted something, you could get a, a conditioner bar for, say, £5.00. But if you wanted to spend a bit more, then you could spend more on a liquid conditioner or something else. So it really, because there's so many more brands, it really meets the expectations of lots of different consumers. And in terms of travelling then, because I'm just thinking shampoo bar, travelling, that could be a bit of a sticky issue, shall we say. How do you kind of deal with, with all of the stuff on the move? When we're allowed to travel again, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, I actually did a quite, because uh, I do IGTVs um, on Instagram of how to use different products and like little tips and stuff like that. And I actually did one exactly on that. Um, <laughs> so have a hack on keeping, taking your shampoo bar with you. And what I normally do is I actually wrap it in a beeswax wrap, which is an alternative to cling film. So it's just a bit of fabric with beeswax on it and it sticks together. And that allows you to keep something wet in it. It won't soak through anything and you can carry it around with you more easily. But equally, you could put it in a little Tupperware if you've got something like that or a tin. And one of the best things about it, if you are flying, is that it is not liquid. So you don't need to worry about how much you can take with you because you can just take a solid bar with you. That's such a good point. And I guess you could do that with like the solid deodorant bars as well and, and face wash and you could do it for everything, actually. Literally everything. Like face scrubs tend to be, um, tend not to be liquid. So you put a bit of powder on your hand and you mix it with water to make it into a liquid. So it's actually really easy to travel and to have less with you and none of it being liquid. Though saying that, I'm a big advocate of not flying. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'd say that, but I really try not to fly as much as possible. So, for example, last summer I went to Romania and I went the whole way by train. Whoa, that must have been fun. Yeah, and you know what? Everyone was like, why are you doing that? It's so far, you're cutting off a couple of days by getting there. But I just said to myself, well, my holiday starts from the day that I leave London. Super exciting because I got to stop off in Paris for breakfast. I went to Munich and I had a pretzel and then I got a night train and I met loads of other young people who were going sort of the same way as me. It was as much an adventure to get to Romania as it was going around it. That sounds ace. How long did it take you? Um, so... God, how long? I think it took a day and a half. But there's this really good website called uh, Seat 61. And it's a man man in Seat 61. That's what he says. And he's mapped out the entire routes all around Europe. And I think actually the whole world of the best way to get anywhere. So you can put in your starting place and your destination and he'll tell you the route. 
So I actually used it for the first time because I did the Trans-Siberian Railway. That's and cool. I used that to learn how to how to get around and then realised that he did it all through Europe as well. So I had actually planned on going interrailing around Italy this year and was going to get the train all the way from Manchester. But obviously that's been put on hold till next year. But I still hope on, on doing that then. Yes, um, yeah, lots of plans have been scuppered. But I'll leave the link in the show notes if anyone's interested to that site because that, that's something I'm definitely going to check out after this. Thank you very much, Bethan, for having me on the podcast. Um, if for anybody who is interested in anything that I've talked about today, you can find us at www.lifebeforeplastic.com and that's plastic spelt with a K. Or you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Life Before Plastic. If you want to see any product videos, IGTVs, or if you're interested in anything, then please do reach out and we'll be happy to help. Thanks so much to Charlie for coming on the show. All of the links we've discussed today will be down in the show notes should you wish to find out more. If you want to find out more about The Brave and the podcast and what we've got coming up, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Brave Listen. You can also find us online at bethanvincent.com because I'm too lazy slash cheap to pay for two domains, though that may change in the near future. And finally, if you would like to leave us a ratings and or a review, I would be eternally grateful. It just means I get feedback on what I'm doing and also more people due to kind of algorithmic things get to find out about the podcast as it'll get recommended to more people on various platforms but finally it's just to say thank you so much for listening I hope to be back again soon in your ears in your earbuds on your speakers however you're listening to this but until then have a fantastic week and stay safe